Welcome, everybody, to the Gate Expectations podcast, where I bring in a weekly guest, talk all things Yu-Gi-Oh!, and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. This is the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 18. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out earlier podcasts with guests like Stephen Trifonoski, Jesse Cotton, Team Samurai X1, Doug Zeef, Farfa, and many more. My guest for this week is a two-time Shonen Jump champion. He is a member of one of the biggest Yu-Gi-Oh! teams in history and has topped over 10 Shonen Jump championships and a YCS. It is Paul Levitin. Paul, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Thank you for having me on the Gate Expectations podcast, David. I appreciate it. Absolutely, bro. And uh, again, I appreciate it, you coming on. And, uh, you know, I've interviewed uh, a couple of your teammates before already, Dale Polito, Chris Paravic. And I know you had a hoot on that one. It was I told you it was only a matter of time before I got you on. I just had to space it out a little bit, and I thought now would be a good time to bring you on now. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome. <laughs> it was definitely it was fun listening to those. Uh, definitely <laughs> always fun to to reminisce and kind of remember. Uh, it's it's weird to say the good old days because <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit, but you were around <laughs> back in those days as well. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, it certainly has been a while, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've uh, really looked at the Yu-Gi-Oh at all as of late. I know you told me that you kind of dabbled a little bit in GOAT format, but have you looked at all none at Yu-Gi-Oh what it is today? I mean, I not not honestly, no, not really. Like, I I have plenty of friends on like Facebook, you know, that are still play, so I see the cards posted and stuff like that. So I really stopped paying attention to the game around pendulum so like link summons are something that i don't really understand and like that whole like like everything since then is kind of like beyond me like up until up until like pendulums or like quilfords or that's what they're called cliffords quilfords whatever yeah cliffords yeah yeah that kind of stuff came out i was like i was paid attention enough that i could like go to a tournament and still play Mm -hmm. you know like i wasn't really super into it but I, I understood the game enough. Now I don't really know how anything works, so I, I couldn't really say that I'm competent in uh, the, the the game as it is right now. Mm-hmm. When was the last time that you actually played like a, a game of Yu-Gi-Oh and like actually took it like at least a little bit serious at that point? So around then, like I, back, I, I guess like a few like three or four years ago, mm-hmm. um, I went to like a random regionals that they that was around me. I, I live in New York City, so like we we get a fair amount of tournaments. Um, so I try to like pop up into a tournament every now and then just because again, I still have friends who play and who you know, who are still into it. I have friends who like own stores in the city. So, you know, I'll like roll up to a store once in a while where there's a tournament going on and just like hang out and, you know, talk with my friends. But, uh, I really don't have, again, since at least since anything, since link summons came out, I haven't actually touched a card or played, played a real game. So what was the reason why you decided to kind of like fade yourself out of the game or at least or stop at whatever that point was that you decided to just kind of phase yourself out of Yu-Gi-Oh a bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this game. It was always a, a huge part of my life, but it was really just like an, an age thing. And not that I like outgrew it, but just in that time of my life, what I had to do was, you know, like I was super when I was like playing in, in jumps and tournaments and like traveling and all that that stuff that i was doing it was like i was in like high school and then into college so i I had i just had more time and you know i also when we were you know we talked to dale and chris and like when i was like you know we would play test for hours and days and and weeks you know and like it was just such it was such a time commitment that Mm -hmm. as i got older and really started to work and my my commitments and my my hobbies and my thing things just kind of changed in my life to Mm -hmm. now where it's just like 
you know, to be good at the level that I want to be able to play a game. Like when I, you know, when I played the game, I wanted to be the best at it. And that was mm-hmm. not a, a casual thing. You know, that was like, again, we're testing and I'm fishbowling and I'm sitting at home with a deck in my hand while I'm eating dinner and I'm, I'm drawing hands and I'm shuffling against myself or whatever. So, you know, as my, again, as I just got a little bit older and my priorities kind of shifted, it's just not something that I, that I really have the interest in putting that much time into anymore. But that's mm-hmm. why I will like, hop onto dual dual book dueling book is really cool like what like when i first got i I had stopped for a while you know when i went to college and then the reason i got back into it was because dueling network came out and that was before dueling book obviously again dating myself (laughs) dueling network came out and like i was like oh cool i can still kind of play and not you know i don't have to like you know i can play on dueling network and then be in the game enough that if i want to pop into a tournament now and again then i can so that's kind of how i stayed fairly relevant uh for a while Mm-hmm. And then Dueling Network went away. There was like a lawsuit or something. I don't know. But you remember there was a time where like Dueling Book came back, came a few years later, but there was a time where there was nothing like that for a while where it was kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, that there wasn't an online thing. And that was in that time that I kind of just, I wasn't going to go to tournaments because I just didn't have the time to do that. And then without any online play, it just was not something that I was, was, could really keep up with. And then, like, again, so now now that people do GOAT format and old format games on Dueling Book, I, I'm happy to do that. You know, if someone wants to play GOAT format or or Dad Return or some some weird shit, go, some, uh, what's it, you know, um, GBs with, like, uh, with, with that, that format, you know, old formats that I'm used to where I don't really, like, again, I can just go back and play. Like, that stuff is like riding a bike. You know, if I pick up, you know, like, I haven't played GOAT, I ha- well, I hadn't prior to, like, a month ago played goat control in I don't know 10 years and you know you pick it up and it's like it was like no time had ever passed so mm-hmm. that stuff is fun to me but it's just I just don't have the the time or the inclination at this point in my life to uh to really put in the time and effort into being good at the game anymore yeah I'm really glad that you brought that up because it, it, this seems to be like a recurring theme for uh, a lot of the players that were part of the old guard way back when, and now they're kind of like going into this part of the game. Like, cause like I'm now in my, like, my early thirties, I started playing when I was like 15 years old and I, I'm seeing now that, you know, as we get older, we, we have like a lot more responsibilities to take care of. Like, you know, we, some of us might have, uh, for example, like Chris has his wife. Uh, some people might have children and, you know, we're going to finishing up college and then getting careers. I, I understand that, that we don't have as much time as we used to do. Cause like, I remember, way back when i would dedicate like maybe like one two days to just playing all day in Yu-Gi-Oh. and nowadays i can't even do that anymore like even pre or current pandemic didn't matter when i can't even find myself doing that anymore and a lot of like of the skilled players that i'm seeing nowadays are like tremendously younger than i am and you know there's some of them are still in high school as well maybe like they're kind of dabbling in college or they're just not going to school so i kind of see that parallel and that kind of um you know, that little correlation that's kind of happening in between the two now. Is that something that you're kind of seeing? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it is, that is what it is because exactly when I started, I was like, I don't know, probably even younger than you. I'm 30 now. I was like 13 when I started, like when the first starter decks came out, there weren't even structured decks back then, you know, like that, that's how I got started. And when I was like going to jumps and, and, and really, you know, into it, that was, that was in high school and early into college. But I think that that's exactly it. Right? You have to have that amount of time, especially with Yu-Gi-Oh. It's hard because there is no support for this, right? Like, so even like there's professional magic players. There's professional, I'm doing air quotes right now. You can't see, but 
like people consider yeah. themselves professional Yu-Gi-Oh players, but you're not though, right? Because even if you win the biggest tournament, which would be a jumper or I guess YCS now or Worlds or something like that, you might get prize support equaling up to a few thousand dollars. Like there's no mm-hmm. way that it can actually be a career. Whereas other mm-hmm. other games, esports are now a huge thing. Magic the Gathering, like you can make a career out of that. You know, so mm-hmm. when you have when you're young, when you're in high school and you don't have any responsibilities. Yeah, then it's fun. It's great. Like I, when I was in high school and I want to, I, I traveled to California to win a Des Vols Golf, which was the prize card when I won my first jump and sold that for $2,000. That was amazing for me. You know, I mean, I paid my flight, which was like 500 and then I had $1,500. I had never seen that much money in my life. You know, now it's like, I can't take time. You know, to, I can't take three days to go travel across the country and pay $1,000 because I make more for the chance to win 2000 when it's like, I could just work that weekend. And make more of that. I could work on my business. There's, there's so many other things I could do. And beyond that, I mean, I just, you, you know, it, I value my time so highly that I that I have other things to do. You know, I have, I just have a, you know, again, I'm not against it. There's nothing I, I don't like about playing Yu-Gi-Oh! But it's it's just, you know, like I have others, I have so much stuff on my plate right now that it's just, it's hard to, to make it a priority. Whereas when you're younger... <laughs> It's very easy, you know. It's like, what, what was I, I? I would skip school to go play tour, to go play like to go play test. You know, it's like I was going to sit in math class or I was going to go meet up with my friends and and duels. It was like, well, that's an easy decision, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it really gets tough nowadays to really find that time for myself, especially myself too, because again, like I have a girlfriend, I I work my career as well on top of that and again i have several other hobbies that you know that i like to like dabble in as well for example like it's not just you that's my only hobby like for example you uh i know that yourself you're uh you're a personal trainer now you're a health and fitness coach as well and i'm sure that uh eats up a fair share of your time even just outside of work as well because i know that you like to work out and keep yourself fit yeah exactly so it's like when i have like a weekend to do something you know my my hobbies now tend to lean more towards physical stuff so i go rock climbing or i go hiking or i i do you know or again i'm going to go out for for dinner with some friends so that's that's the main thing that would always draw me back to Yu-Gi-Oh! is just the social mm-hmm. aspect of it is exactly that right you know like you i still have friends it's still fun if i go to a tournament even though i have no clue what's going on in the tournament you know everyone goes out to dinner afterwards and you 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 hang out and everyone's cracking jokes and stuff and like that's fun no matter what you know so that that's the part i'll always appreciate it there's i've made friendships that are you know still to this day some of my best friends and you know that that stuff i i will never diminish but in terms of like what I would, you know, if I have a, if I work all week and I have a, a Saturday off, especially with tournaments, you know how a tournament is like you're waking up early. Like it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, like grinding tournaments was not an easy thing. Again, I used to, you know, like I said, when I was in college or high school, I would like be in class all week. I would hop on a flight Friday night, fly out to some random state, go to a hotel, crash at a hotel with eight other people. Like we're like, you know, ass to elbows, sleeping on sharing beds and sleeping on the floor, play testing till four in the morning, wake up, registration round one at 8 a.m and especially now the size of tournaments tournaments run until two o'clock in the morning because there's 11 rounds of swiss you know and then like hopefully you make day two and then you fly right back on the flight or on a long car ride back the next day like it's draining it's not it's not something that i think you can really do at a high level when you have again a family or responsibilities outside of this so i do think it is like quote unquote a a young man's game you know so not to make myself feel old but it it really is you know yeah, it's it's like what you see in uh, professional sports as well. You kind of see like the 
you know, a lot of the a lot of teams might like start to get rid of the older players now and start to move in for like the younger players because you know younger players will will cost less and then like, they have a little bit more like at least raw physical talent. It's it's, it's kind of like what we're seeing now in uh, in Yu Gi Oh, except kind of replace the raw physical talent with uh, a little bit more uh, like time and time is definitely yeah. a big thing. And uh, you know, kind of maybe like the eagerness to learn could be you could argue as another thing, but it's just the availability that like the younger players can kind of have and kind of give to the game as opposed to you and I now, like in our early thirties that we may not have as much time anymore. Yeah. 100%. And also, honestly, it's a hunger thing, right? It's like when I was younger, like that, I wanted to be the the best duelist. Like I was, it was a great, it was like, I mean, I think about it now looking back at, at, at it and it's like, I, the fact that I can say with real certainty that I was the best in the world at something is just something that not many people can say, even though it was a Japanese children's card game. Like I was competing with uh, tens of thousands of other people who wanted to be where I was like ranking. They used to have the du- the duelist rankings. And like, I was ranked number one. Mm-hmm. I was, I was doing things that like no one else in the world was doing like topping and winning events. And it was like, that to me was worth it. It was worth the sacrifice. Now, Again, you know, to to be for me to say like, oh, like I I could win a YCS. I'm like, I might I might just rather want to sleep in on a Saturday. You know, like it's just not that it's just not that important to me. But I'm happy that I did it, and it was you know all the, all the experiences that I had, I wouldn't trade for anything. But it just it was just a different time. No, I, I get what exactly what you're saying in, in that sense because uh, I'm not quite at the level of you are, but but. You know, I've only topped well like one uh, YCS at this point in time. I've topped one, and I told myself I just that's the only thing I just want to do is want to get that done. And if I were to like die today, like I would at least be very happy with when I look back at my Yu-Gi-Oh career at this point in time. And I, I'm sure that like, you can kind of say say the same thing too at this point. Like you were happy with what you did. You became a champion twice. Uh, I I don't believe you went to Worlds at all, but I'm sure. But still, like I'm sure that you're really happy with the way your quote unquote Yu-Gi-Oh career went when you were playing. Yeah, I mean for sure. It's like even now I don't. I know they had a list for a while I, I haven't checked it in years but even after i had like quote unquote retired i would look at this list of like the people with the most tops or something and i was still like top 15 or something like that like six years after i hadn't played in another event you know there's like the, mm-hmm. the things that the things that uh, i was doing and like my team and like od and all, all the stuff we were doing back then was just like we were trendsetters and then i look at like the i look at the stuff that's going on now and i look at the the, the kids i say kids they're like 20 but you know like the the, the younger generation of, of duelists that and it's like that was you know like that's their time now and that, that i'm fine with that you know like i had i had my run and it was cool and when i was really into it that was the, that's what i'm saying like it was hard for me to be half in and half out you know like that i don't want to just like really play if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it right and i'm going to i'm going to get super into it even like this last there was like a goat format worlds like last week, I think it was like an invite yep. thing on dueling book for any, and anyone who had topped in the real original goat format in like 2005 was invited, which I had topped in that format. So I got an invite. So I was like, Oh, cool. So like I'll play. And I, I started like testing with Chris and, and Dale, not really. I played like three, three matches, but like, I just saw myself getting sucked back in. I was like, Ooh, and it's like, like, <laughs> like I would get home. I would, I would finish work for the day. And it's like, it's eight o'clock at night. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Now I can, I can fit in, you know, a few matches before bed. And it was just like, not a slippery slope. Like that's a bad thing, but I can just easily see, I blink my eyes and six months from now. And I'm like, I have done nothing but play on dueling book for, you know, for half a year. And uh, that's just not something that I'm like trying to dive all the way back into quite now, quite yet. Did you uh, actually compete in that, uh, that go format? Uh, World Championships? Yeah, I went two and two and I, I lost. It was like, uh, 
two wasn't Swiss, so it was like two. It was two eliminate two loss elimination. Yeah, it was a, a, a double elimination is what they call that yeah, kind of bracket. So yeah. I played I played Bazu return, um, and I lost first round, then I won two, and then I lost fourth round. But it was fun. Mm-hmm. Was was that the uh, the same deck that you took to uh, when you won a, a Shonen Jump Championship Los Angeles? Uh, no, it wasn't. So the the deck I won Shonen Jump LA with was the following format after Goat Control. So this was, oh, so okay. Goat Control. This was like the the next format. They banned Graceful. They banned Delinquent. Um, they banned, I think, Black Luster Soldier. They banned a lot of stuff. Like that was like a, a heavy hit to the ban list. So that back at that time, like like Goat Control was like there was all those power cards out. You know, Pot, Pot Grace Duo. They banned all three of those. And then after that, the for, the next format, it became like Warrior Toolbox. So because they just banned all these power cards, they banned Chaos. They banned like all this stuff, and it was like people were just playing like Warriors. And then that's when we made Bazu Return. Um, and I, that was like, that was when I was really at my hot, like, my, well, kind of my, my, not my hottest, but that's when I first got started. So I like from that, that goat control format and the following format, or when I amassed my four win streak and then my undefeated win, which was like what put me at the top of the game, which was like unheard of. You know, I, I topped four Shonen Jumps in a row. And then when I won with Bazu Return, it was an undefeated win where I, I went like, 11 and 0 or 12 and 0 or something like that and that was like when mm-hmm. i would consider that you know technically i mean i don't i'm not trying to say this to be in a bragging way but like i was the best uh, the best person that there was playing the game at that time you know like it was like i was mm-hmm. in my zone i would just go up against anyone and then like i i felt confident just just winning but we but yeah i just kind of for fun for this tournament for the goat control format tournament i was just like okay i'll just i didn't really again i didn't want to test really or anything like that and i just made of a version of that that would work with work in the goat format and it was it was fun so what really compelled you to decide to go back and uh, play that goat format tournament um chris and dale and listening to your podcast probably <laughs> um no like chris had told me about it like months ago like when i got he was like you're he's like oh you have your invite to this tournament because you have the top in it and i was like okay like remind me a week before the tournament like i'm not going to test for it but i'll play in it um, and then again, I listened to Chris on your podcast. And I listened to Dale on the podcast and it kind of, it just got me in like nostalgia mode. Um, so like, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was just, you know, on Saturday, I'm also right now in New York city, uh, is still kind of shut down. So my gym that I, that I work at is closed. So I have a little bit more time on my hands. So it was just a, com- a perfect storm of, uh, of scenarios where I was just like, all right, cool. This, this is a fun way to pass the time. Mm-hmm. It did, it was like, did like a wave of nostalgia or just kind of like just got to reminisce about the old days kind of hit you like when you first started to like finally play in that tournament again after like so many oh yeah years? for sure i mean the playing in the tournament was it was just like it was fun i mean don't get me wrong it was weird because we were doing it on like discord and like it was, it was just like a weird day i've never played on an online tournament before but just like that thing of like oh the pairings are up and like <laughs> who am i gonna play and then like and then like i played the guy like i played round two the guy who uh beat anthony round one so i'm like oh yeah what did the guy who beat you play like you know so trying to get like the inside <laughs> scoop right before the round starts um so that's what i'm saying like that stuff never leaves you you know like that's why that that is why it's fun where like the game it used to be for a long time again before they really started changing the mechanics with like link summons and 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 uh pendulum and stuff like that that like even though the game would change i could come back after two years of not playing and just play in the play because the game was more or less the same like the format changed the cards changed but i could take a day or two to learn the new hot deck and just play it you know so that's why i have i would i and i even topped events like that like i after i stopped i really stopped playing around like 2010 
but I popped up in like, I got a top in 2013, another top in 2014, just randomly because, you know, I knew I had, I was competent enough. So anytime, like I kind of get back into it, I, I do love the game. You know, I, I do want to play it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of look at goat format nowadays. Uh, it's it's kind of like, just like playing another board game. It doesn't matter how long you kind of put it off for a bit. It's like, once you go back to it, like it's, it, it feels like riding a bicycle at this point. Like maybe I'm like, for example, if I play like Monopoly, and then maybe not play it for like the next like two, three years. And then someone asked me to play a game with them that I will. Like, I haven't forgotten. Like, um, I might forget like a little rule here and there, but majority of the game still is like retained in my mind for the most part. And it's like just picking up a board game, kind of playing it. Is that kind of a similar feeling for you when you play? Uh, yeah, 100%. Format? I mean, it's just like, it, again, it's just auto. It's like muscle memory. It's automatic. It's just like, ooh, like, again, I, I you don't think about it. It's like pot grace duo. You, know, you just know how that feels. Yeah, just, I just know the power. You yeah. know, when, when I see those cards, it's like, oh yeah, like I like that. I like that feeling, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, when text was at least like one or two lines as opposed to maybe like six, seven, eight lines is what we, what we might yeah, have nowadays. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a funny thing I was thinking when I was playing a lot of GOAT format. I was like, my turn would be like, I would look at my hand. It would take me one second because I'm like, well, there's only one thing I can do. Set, set, go, you know? Whereas I know that nowadays yes. it's like your first turn takes like, 20 minutes because you're you're comboing out for like for with all this stuff and then searching it was like uh, the last deck i remember that was kind of like that was like wind-ups you know where it was like you do all this yep. crazy stuff and end with like this huge board whereas like i'm playing like goat control i'm like uh set pass go ahead you know <laughs> definitely is very very different yeah, yeah, because like I remember, like even during like the the latter parts of uh, when like, before you started to wind down a bit, like for example, I know you played in Province, you played yeah. the Gear Gear, which is again one of those like just set 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 decks, and just it's just kind of go. It was a very slow paced deck to start, and then it would kind of start to speed up, and and then you like control and take your opponent over too. So, and nowadays we don't see a whole lot of decks like that nowadays. Maybe like the odd one or two now, but it's just crazy now that that we've seen the the game go from like maybe like strategically set one or two do i want to like set this much because a heavy storm or whatnot and now it's like let's just put like all our cards out on the table and just see like can you stop me or what yeah i think that i always um liked control type decks so like don't get me wrong like bazu return was uh uh was it like beat down warrior deck? But like I always, the decks that I liked myself, I didn't make that deck. I, I, I the, the two times that I won, I didn't make either of those decks. Um, but the the decks that I played that I liked that were my decks were always like control, like gadgets or something. Like I topped with I topped with gadgets one time. I topped with that gear good deck one time because that was like my style of playing. Like that's what I like to play. Like play for advantage and then just like kind of grind them down. Um, but I feel like now it's I feel like those those older formats in the game back then was more about i play against my opponent where it's like again like i can control and i'm trying to make reads on my opponent and i'm trying to (laughs) i'm trying to like you know like bluff them into thinking i have certain things where i feel like now it's like i have to do what i have to do and do it in the best way and put them in a position that they can't do anything like it has nothing to do with what it's like your opponent either has what they what they need or they don't you get what i like it's not like oh mm-hmm. it's like I'm not I'm not like trying to play around something unless like it's like a effect veiler or some like weird hand trap or something. But it, for the most part, it's like okay, what's the best play I can make with this hand, irregardless of what my opponent has, and then put them in a position to then do the same thing back to me. And you kind of just go back and forth like that, where it's like you you make big power mm-hmm. plays and kind of swing it like that. Whereas before it was like okay, like you can bluff. Like Dale talked about pro storming me, which like I don't even know if that was true. I can't remember that far in the past, but I think he I think. He, he might have made that story up because I think I would have remembered that. But like, 
<laughs> stuff <laughs> like that you know it's like that that was like what the game was about it was like okay like well, I'm like thinking about I'm thinking about their plays. I'm thinking about what their what their sets are. I'm thinking about what my sets are. I'm thinking about how to force them into a play that I want that I want to do. As opposed to now, it's just like okay, like how do I make this board that's uncrackable and like make sure that I don't mess up in that process because that, there's you know 18 moves that lead to that. So I you know a better player will will play that out more of the time. Whereas someone who isn't as well practiced will mess that up. And, and like someone who's watching, like, I don't know who's good right now. I guess like a few years ago, it was like Patrick Hoban. Like, I don't think he plays that much anymore, but like, I know when he was like playing, yeah. you know, like he would watch someone play and he'd be like, Oh, if see if I had that hand, I would have won because I would have set up my board like this, this, and this, you know, whereas if I'm watching <laughs> someone play in an older format, it's like, I'm not thinking about setting up my board. It's like, oh, I would have won because I would have bluffed like this and I would have, I would have, or I would have read that they had this because of how they played this. You know, it's just a different style of play. Yeah, then that's, that was a big argument that I really had for kind of enjoying the old guard a bit more than the new guard because um, I felt like you could be really creative in the old way as far as your play style goes. Not your deck building, but your play style. Like, for instance, a lot of people might want to, like, for instance, maybe set, like, two or three back row in the opening turn, knowing that, like, a heavy storm could be, like, in that hand or not, and you have no way to stop it. Um, or as opposed to, like, maybe do I want to play cautiously? Do I want to try to bait it out? Maybe I'll set, like, two chainable cards or something like that to kind of lure out the heavy storm. You know, things like that are, like, the kind of moves. Because, like, you don't commit to your board, like, every single turn like you did uh, back in go- GOAT format or subsequent formats afterwards, where nowadays I find myself playing with, like a full board and maybe like one or two cards in my hand, like that I've completely committed to the board. If it gets destroyed, then uh, I could be like, you know, you know, up, uh, up, up the Creek without a power. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was just, it's just completely different in that regard of like, like you said, you could go, you know, when you go, so when someone, when in an older format, when it was a bit slower and someone goes set two back rows pass on turn one, it's like, okay, there's so much that can, you know, that, that can do, that it could be, or so many different ways that could play out. Where now, it's like again, you know what, what if you know what deck they're playing, maybe it's turn one, game one, you don't. But again, assuming you know the deck that they're going to play, you probably know like what is what is happening, you know, or like and what you have to do. And and that's the thing, really, is that even if you don't know, it's like regardless of what they have, like you have to make the plays you have to make. You get what I'm saying? It's like it's it's much mm-hmm. less of a thing of like, okay, let me slow roll this, or let me let me try to bait something out. It's like, okay, I have this hand. This hand does this, makes this board, and that's how I win. So that's the route I have to take. And like, there's no re- there's no real options. There's no like different play. It's like you have to play it the right way. That that's really the the the, the thing. It's not like whereas you know back in the day, if me and Dale would sit next to each other and like with Shane and Anthony or whoever we would play we would get into arguments over like the best way to play something because like we have different play styles. Like now it's like mm-hmm. you see a six per, a six card hand and it's like, it's, it's like solitaire, you know, it's like, there's a right, there is a, there is a right way before it was, I feel like it was like, you could, you could argue over it because it's an opinion. It's like, no, no, I would, I would do this because this, this, and this. And I would think that they had this because of this. And like right now it's like, it's like, well, you have these five cards, the optimal way to play it is this first, then this, this searches this, this searches this, this brings out this because that leaves you with the best board and that's uncrackable. And then you just go, oh yeah, you're right. Like, that's it. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no arguing that because that's just the right way to do it. 
You know, the, the playing solitaire part, I find that to be kind of a curse and a blessing because, you know, we really really didn't get to play a lot of solitaire with yourselves back in Goat format because it'd be like, okay, what do I do here? Set two, set one, and end. Okay, now what? What's going to happen after that? I could, like, maybe simulate a couple things, but, you know, it's it, that's all, like, you hear say. It's all here speak, like, whatever. But nowadays, if like, I'm playing, like, a huge combo deck, I could, like, just practice a very large combo with myself. And it's a little bit easier in that sense, but, yeah, but I feel like there's uh, – not a lot of interaction in that case. And I always found like, the most satisfying victories that you ever got. And I just play like a regular match with somebody is when you go like a hard grind with someone and you just know that you've outplayed them in that hard grind. I feel like that was one of the most satisfying victories you could oh, really yeah, have. For sure. playing this I mean, game. that that's, that's what it's all about. That's what I'm saying. Like even the, the games where you're, you just win because you have a blowout hand, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's still fun. Or the games where, where like you top deck, like you like that, that's all right. But it's like the games where you're just like, you're like, yep, I set you up for that. You know, like I, I knew that like I played like this so that you would do this. And then, and like, you just, you make the win happen. Like those are the best wins. That's when it feels good. And that's truly what makes the difference between a good player and a great player. Right. Because the, the, the games where you have the blowout hands, you're going to win that either way. Right. A good player will win with a blowout hand, just like a great player will. And the game where you weren't supposed to win, but you top deck that out at the last moment again, you those are the the good player is going to win that just like the great player but it's the games where you can tr you dictate the the flow of the game with your play style and you kind of bait people into things or you you bluff in a way like again like i know how to you know i used to know how to like hold my cards in a certain way that would make them think i had something or if they summon breaker or mst or one of those things like i would have different tactics to like make them pick the one that i wanted them to pick like stuff like that is like when you when when you really get to that level of like that's why that's the difference of like one of the the, the people who are on that of that that top tier and the people who are just like always just close to being there but never quite made it yeah and that's definitely a thing too that really puts people over the top is like it's definitely the psychological aspect and that's a big fan it's a big thing i'm a fan of in the game because like back then like when we saw in goat format it, it kind of is kind of is true in today's climate but uh, maybe not as much back then but you always see almost like the same players always topping almost all the time back back in go format because we really felt that it was those players who were really putting it over the top nowadays i still find like a lot more there's a lot more variety in names now that are topping of course there's still like the consistent number of people that are topping every event but i find like a lot more names are like are are becoming champions as we put like kind of like no name champions yeah. not to bring take anything away from them or whatnot but a lot of unknowns that are starting to win now as opposed to like the same repeated names that we're you know we're used to seeing like we would see like you we would see philly we would see like lazaro dale mm -hmm. you know things like that and nowadays like every time i see a champion i'm like i'm like who mm -hmm. is that guy Who's that person? I don't know who that. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of a big thing oh. now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really I mean, all over it's, the place. I think it's it's a combination. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was always like that. So, so also, people talk about goat format. Like, I don't know why goat format became the like the 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 end all be all of formats. Like, this is like what people talk about when they talk about skilled formats. I don't know how that happened. Like, it just was like I guess I guess it was because of that because it was like a lot of the same people topping all the time, which is kind of indicative of. Uh, like a of a of a of skill based format, I guess you would say. But at the same time, it really wasn't because like that's really right. Like when goat format was, uh, like a thing was right in the beginning of like competitive play. You know, like that was real. Like co Comic Odyssey was starting. Or, like OD was like I wasn't even on OD. This is when I was like me and my friends. I knew Anthony and Chris and them, but like we weren't on a team together. They were from New Jersey. We were from New York. Like I was still on team scoop. And like, this was like when Shonen jumps were just becoming a thing. So I feel like if that, if there was a, a level of play, like there is now 
and there was when goat format was was out it wouldn't have been the same like it was like you know people people it's like it's nostalgia you know people look back on it like oh my god everything was so different in goat in goat format but like there's a lot of good formats like that you know like i said like teledad format was super was was super fun and skillful i think that that, that was like kind of overlapping with that gladiator beast format not the one i wanted but the one with um with Dizaris, you know like that, like that format was really yeah. cool um and then like just mom there was plenty of monarch formats i mean i i'm i'm biased towards that because i always love like that like i said i like control type deck so and kind of like monarch formats but there was a lot of good formats like that where you saw a lot of the, the a lot of the big name people topping and that's kind of how you how how you would judge the the strength of a format is like can the same people win you know because if again if if there's no consistency then it's just luck and if it's just luck then you know then it's just it is what it is and and that happens no matter what that's why you know the, the, no matter how good you are you can only be so confident going into a tournament, you know, like, so it's like one of those things where I do think goat control is a good format, but I don't think it's like, Oh my God, like it's so much better than, than it is now. It's just, it is a different game. And it's time to take a good example off of what you said. I, I feel like, you know, I, your teammate Adam Korn, for example, like he was probably one of the best like teledad players in the world uh, at the time. Like he was uh, near unstoppable at that point. And then he also made, a deck to even counter his own deck when he made his own like corn monarchs deck with the uh, primordial dragon as uh, chris mentioned back on our last podcast and and even then i always found that that format teledad was it was almost always like about 95 percent of the time it was always the better player would always win that yeah match. see like that like a format like that oh, again so it, it's one of those things where a format like that i feel like is even actually a little bit more skillful than teledad i mean than uh, than goats because the thing about goat control is that the deck it was like a one of deck right so it's like everything is limited to one most of the most of the power cards like pot grace duo soldier heavy storm you know so you don't get the same hand that often whereas teledad was trips of everything right so it's like three dark arms three Crebons, teleports, whatever. I don't remember the exact deck, but I'm saying so. It's like you had a much so if everyone running mirror for mirror, deck for deck, like so. It's like if if ten people have the same ten goat control decks because of the variety of cards in the deck, they're still going to draw very different hands. You get what I'm saying? Whereas if you have ten people with ten dark arm return decks or teledad decks, like then there's there's going to be they're actually going to draw very similar hands. And when you have very similar hands with very similar decks, that puts it on now it's now it's player versus player, right? Now it's like okay, how good can I can I play out of this and and read out of this? And like that's that's why I prefer like formats like that. And they were also just more fun. Like the goat control format could also get super boring with like getting in goat locks and you know thousand eyes restrict and stuff. Like teledad was like that, that was a fun that's a fun deck to play. And I felt that those like those kind of teledad decks were there were there were OTKs, but I felt that they were very like healthy OTKs. Like it couldn't always happen at like a, at a no moment's notice, but like they were there and they were capable to if you were able to like to grind really hard enough and had like a clear shot at it at this point. And like a, this is a difference where like someone can OTK out of nowhere even against like a really uh, a really like a powerful board, which I think is like a little bit weird just because it's like a kind of a lucky shot kind of thing. But like you really had to earn those. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like and that that I like that that kind of stuff too, where it's like yes, yes, you're right. It can it OTK for sure. You have Dark Arm Dragon, right? You can drop Dark Arm Dragon can come down at any time and like shit can get crazy. And you have a uh, you have a, te- a t- emergency teleport with Creebons and and Goyo Guardians and stuff like that. So it's like thing can change at the at the drop of a of the drop of a dime. But that wasn't the point of the deck. It was not an OTK deck, right? So like that that's why I, I enjoy like formats like that. 
And like there was still other stuff there because like that was like I think that like Six Samurais was always around. Six Samurais was always just kind of sitting around. So like I like formats like that where there was like one mm-hmm. there was a main deck and then you could kind of you could play against that deck or you could kind of you like go with it. You know, mm-hmm. like that those are the formats where it was like the most skillful because you know that it was also a lot of skill because people even the anti-meta decks couldn't beat the meta, right? Like, but yes, everyone knows mm-hmm. that if you're going to play a 10 round tournament in, a, in that format, you're probably going to play eight to nine dark arm decks, right? Except that people couldn't really afford them. Mm-hmm. So that's a different, a different thing. But like, if uh, theoretically, most people would be playing that. So you might say like, well, if I'm going to play all dark arm decks, then I'll just play anti dark arm. But people would still do that and still lose to dark arm because dark arm is just too powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, except that's actually what I did with, well, that's what we did with gladiator beast. So that kind of, but that was, that was like a, a, yeah. a one, uh, a one-shot kind of deal that was a, a little lucky too. Well, I definitely want to get get into that in a moment, but to j- just kind of keep pressing on for what you're saying is that you know I also found that Teledad also has a lot of uh, has a lot of like defensive capabilities as as well, which is why like you didn't see OTKs happen too often, ju- just because of like the the sheer power and board that could build. But it wasn't like too overpowering. Like, for example, we had Stardust Dragon, but it was the weakest yeah. synchro that you could pop out. It could be taken up by any other like any other synchro that came out there and Dark Oak Dragon can at least attack it over. So, you know, there was like at least a, a good weakness in part of Stardust Dragon, especially if you can swipe it with Goyo Guardian too, because it's like, you don't want to make an unprotected Stardust Dragon with uh, no protection over Goyo Guardian or else you start to run into a lot of trouble. So I also found that really, really a big part of Dark Oak, why Teledad was so good because it was just a good deck defensively, which, and with Royal Oppression on top of that, you can kind of go back and forth and like really play this chess match. Yeah, for sure. Else. It's funny because I don't remember remember the deck that well but now you're saying it i'm like remembering all this stuff i'm like oh yeah i remember that too now like uh, royal oppression and stardust i was just thinking like you have, you have Cremons, but that's so that's another thing of like thinking about what makes a deck good is exactly that right so like you can you have to board up and think about defensive plays as opposed to again now or with like a more otk based thing where it's like i just have to do what i have to do to not die whereas like again you could drop stardust dragon but it's like okay now they're like how many ways can they make a goyo guardian and then and then kind of screw me so like i have to you have to be thinking i feel like with with like otk decks all around you're only thinking one turn ahead it's like survive so and that's it whereas with these with more with these other decks where these other formats is kind of more like okay like yeah i have to think about not dying but i also have to think about setting myself up in a position where i can win three turns from now because if they don't kill me i still have to keep playing and that was a big thing too you had to think so many turns ahead where the current format i had to think about maybe yeah maybe like one turn ahead or maybe two turns ahead and that's about it but like tell that i had to think so many turns ahead to be able to uh, like outfox my opponent because it, it was such a bad back and forth game too and also the matchup as well like for instance like it, it's also a bit mm-hmm. of a toolbox as well with the synchros like we had several liberating synchros we had like thought ruler arc fiend which was like prevented targeting so you were to think like what deck really targets a whole lot you bring a thought ruler uh colossal fighter can't be taken out of battle like you really want to use that against uh lights ones but don't keep it in defense worlds or an Aaron will get a hold of it and then against gladby's like stardust dragon was like one of like the banes of their existence and like the only thing they could really get out of it is like a herc or like a royal oppression with like and calming with the geysers you know something similar to that like it really made you have to play a toolbox that's a word that i just don't hear anymore in current Yu-Gi-Oh! is the word toolbox whereas like way back then it, that word was used all over the place like especially like giant rat missing tomato like cards like that were really like okay if this gets destroyed or uh, this happens what kind am i going to bring it now to like 
you know, best adapt the situation, which is what a toolbox is in this point. I don't see that a whole lot more in, uh, in current Yu-Gi-Oh! As well, yeah, to again, Yu-Gi-Oh! I don't that. know too much about current Yu-Gi-Oh! But I just assume that it's not because, again, it's that whole thing. Like you said, you don't get to plant, play past one turn. It's you get the hand that you literally play the hand you were dealt and that's it. Whereas, you know, whereas with with other formats where where it's a more of a grinding toolboxy type thing, it's like you have your your hand and your deck. And I'm not talking about searching because right now you do a lot. You might do a lot of searching with certain decks, but I'm talking about, you know, when you when you're talking about a, a deck that has to play 10, 15 turns into the game, you're, you're going to go through a lot. A lot is going to change from, you know, you can play out of poor openers you can play you know like that's that's where the skill comes in you know it's like okay i have a i have a poor opener and now i can play out of it but now it's like if you have a poor opener and you're playing in an otk based format now it's like okay i have a poor opener let me just i just have to hope that my opponent has an equally poor opener and then maybe we get to play but it's like if you if if that's not the case you're just gonna you're just gonna lose like go to game two because what's the point mm-hmm. and you know what what we could do back then too is that like let's say if i had like a very poor hand like in go from it, I would play very defensively at that point until I started gradually drawing the cards that I would need to help myself get out of the situation. Because like you typically, if you have a good hand, you might you might be a little more inclined to play a, a little bit more aggressively. But if you know that you don't have a good hand, like you're you're pretty much trying to stall for your time. Like you can have that luxury of you know waiting a t- an extra turn here and there to be able to get what you need. Where as opposed to now, it's like well you got five six cards. That's your hand. If you don't have a good hand, well, then you might be pooched. If not, then uh, then if you do get a good hand, great. If you don't, uh, well, sorry. Too yeah, for sure, for sure. Exactly. That, that's game. a huge difference. Again, you don't see as many cards, so it's like you don't get as many options. Yeah, and, and that's a big difference, too. And, that, and like we know that the good players can uh, can really do well with like a bad hand. I've seen so many great players uh, play out of bad hands, and I've gone against several bad, like, sorry, several good players that have had bad hands and that have come back and beaten me as well. So, like, I've seen it all over the place. Like, for example, I think uh, uh, Billy Break in, in Columbus. I, I don't know if you were around doing reboot. Uh, um, I, I don't know if I played in that format, but I know what it is. Like, it's that plant stuff, you know, with it. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, because like he opened up three reborn Tengu in, in the finals of his match. It was I think it was game three in the finals. Yeah. Three reborn Tengu. That's not what you want. That's like mm-hmm. that's like opening up like three Titanium with like Lone Fire Blossom was on. You didn't you didn't want that, not at all. But uh, he you know he managed to pull that out and he still he still won the match with three reborn Tengu. It's it's kind of like that, you know. Like we were it, it was really a lot easier playing out of bad hands back then because you were afforded the time as opposed to now not so much if you just have the bad hand if you just have one bad draw already to a bad hand like the game's yeah 100% yeah exactly that that, and that's the the mark of a good player I mean Billy Brake is a all-time you know one of the the, the all-time greats and that's exactly why because he could take a situation like that when almost anyone else would have lost and change it you know where but you can still only do that in certain formats so sometimes it, sometimes a bad hand is a bad hand and you can't play out of it no matter what yeah and that's the that, that's the thing too is like when people argue is complaints like oh i drew triple malicious i lost but like there are people that you know can still draw triple malicious and still can win because i've had it happen to me before i've been able to i've drawn triple malicious before i've drawn triple triple tengu before and i've still won out it's just it, you just kind of have to play it a little bit differently to be able to you know really have that you know the ingenuity and uh just just the the grind power to be able to get through that kind of situation to overcome adversity and then that's what separates like yeah, the of course i mean great, listen you know, at this at the end of the day there's luck in this game you can't get around it the best player is the best player will win yeah. the higher proportion of games but at a, on a single game basis there is luck always involved and no matter how good you are you could be playing you know the best player in the world could be playing a kid with a starter deck and there's going to be some times where they there's just nothing that you can do so it's really more 
about just kind of like that that overall proportion of like if we play 100 games i'm sure i'm confident i'll win 70 of them but there's still 30 that there's just nothing that i can do you know that that's just that's just a reality of this game mm-hmm. and then you know that's uh, we get a lot of people that i'm sure you've had the experience that you know complain about like the the luck factor in the games like oh i would have won if somebody did this or did this or whatnot or if, the, if they didn't have this or whatnot but that's just a natural part of the game and some people can have to understand that you can play perfect in in a whole tournament and still not do well because uh, you know there is luck in the game it's it's inherent in the card game. That's what happens. One hundred percent. I mean, that that, that that is it. There's. I mean, listen. I. You know. You could talk about that yeah. stuff all the all the time. I have. I can. I can list off. You know. People talk about like losing on the bubble and stuff like that. Like throw away losing on the bubble. Throw away like eight and two performance stuff like that. I can list like at, at least four jumps off the top of my head or YCSs where I lost in like top four or, you know, like something like that, where I was like, I was supposed to like, it's like, I know that I was supposed to win. And they got the one card off of the one card off of the one card that made them like some, something crazy, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. Like that, that was, I salty Mm -hmm. in that moment, probably, especially because I was, you know, a little bit younger. I'm I'm sure I didn't take it but that's part of the game that you and just you can't be mad at those losses because you'll take those wins right it's like you 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 you're, if you if that was you on the other side of it and you took that win you'd be like up oh, well that happens but like you so when when you lose like that it's just it's the same thing yeah we've all been victims before like just, just like myself i've definitely won a couple of games by just sheer luck or just sheerly just having the hands and one of my opponent doesn't like that just happens and I, and inversely i've done the same thing even at ycs's and shonen jumps i've given away matches to people because i've just drawn poorly both times and there's nothing i can do but it, it's it's an inherent part of the game but some people just seem to forget about that or whatnot or just kind of put the blame too much on that and like maybe not want to hold themselves accountable but then again there are luck factors involved but there's accountability that also is a yeah, big like, factor listen, in this you, game like i said well. you, you can't it's it's it, this is this is just the thing about about everything in, in life you know like you can't get caught up on the you have to take a, a, a step back and look at the bigger view again right you can't look at one match if you're it's mm-hmm. like one match doesn't decide who's better like you can we can i can play a random person and they beat me i lost to tons of random kids who i know i was better better than in the 10 years mm-hmm. that i played this game but if you took a step back and look at, okay, how is this kid's tournament performance over the last five years versus mine? Well, I'm sure you would see a pattern that showed that I was the better player. You know, like that's that's just how it was. I've, I've lost – I remember one uh, one event. There was the tournament um, – there was a format where it was uh, Ill Blood had just come out and Zombies were the, were the deck. You remember that format? And, and Lazaro and Dale mm-hmm. made this deck yep. and gave it to me like the night before the tournament. And it was it was just that zombie control deck. It was it was just the best deck, and we had it. And we I top forward with it. I was top four in the jump, and I was playing. I think Jonathan LeBounty, and I have it was game three. I have like eight cards to his zero cards, literally zero cards. He top decks Pot of Avarice, which shuffles back a bunch of monsters in his deck into the two cards he draws off Pot of Avarice or Crush Card and Sangin. And it's like okay, you know. So it's like I mean, oh. obviously, it's like whoa, like you know, like I was super I, irate about it. But it's like that is literally how the cookie crumbles, you know. Like <laughs> that's just it, it, that's just life sometimes. And again, like and, and on the flip side of that, yeah. I also then the the shonen jump that I won with Gladiator Beast, I, I won with Crush Card. Like in the finals, <laughs> I crush carded the guy, and that was what made me win the entire tournament. So it's like okay, like you live by the sword, you die by the sword, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I really wanted to touch up on, uh, like, with you on this because I never actually like got to really hear uh, a whole lot of what you had to say, despite uh, aside from the post you made on Pojo. And this, I know this funny little story that I remember you having in that event. I brought it up with Chris, 
Uh, I can't remember if I brought up with Dale or not, but I'm going to bring it up to you now because I really want to hear it from your perspective because I'm really going to laugh about this because I remember seeing this post on Pojo and I can't believe I've never asked you about this. But I remember when you were playing uh, the Gladiator Beast uh, deck in Minneapolis, like this, the, like Geysers wasn't even out yet. So no one was writing this off as like a really good deck then. But I know that your team was like you collected all the uh-huh. Test Tigers. I know I'm building up to the moment. And you actually lost your first match against a guy who was running uh, only two Dark Arm Dragons when you were permitted three. I know you were angry and I'm pretty sure you threw your yeah. deck at the wall yeah. and said this deck That's sucks. True story. If I recall correctly. <laughs> and then yeah, but then you you, you ran yeah. the table and you won the whole event. So what was first of all, wrap me through your mind around how like, everything was for you like after you just lost that that first match and then how like you still were able to like rebound yourself yeah, all the way. So to, the, like, the reason so the, the whole thing about that that it, that definitely did happen. I lost round 1 and I was so mad. I was mad at Anthony cuz he's the one who convinced me to play that deck and I took my deck, I threw it against the wall, the deck box exploded, cards went everywhere. I was like I was like, I can't believe you tri-. because the reason is yep. though, because that wasn't the first tournament that I played that deck. So this was, I was in, uh, this was, um, I was in college at this time. So I, I wasn't playing in any events other than okay. YCS. And so I would, I was just like, I would fly out for the tournament and then fly back to school. Uh, and this was like the 50th show. So, I, the, so before the YCS Minneapolis was the 50th jump that Lazaro won where he beat uh, Chris, right? And that was Lazaro won with yep. uh, Dark Arm Return, right? If I recall correctly. So we started, that's where yeah, the original yep. Gladiator Beats deck was played. Was like, oh, it was like that was the whole point. It was like Anthony was like, oh, I have this deck that kind of just beats Dark Arm Return. So if you if everyone's gonna be playing that, you should just play this. And again, I wasn't really testing, so I was just like, okay, like you know what's good and I'll play it. And so I played that in the 50th YCS, which was the biggest tournament of all time. And that was like the one you really wanted to win. You know, this was this was like the, the tournament of all tournaments at that time. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know I didn't do very well. And I know that I, but I also didn't play many dark arm decks. Like I lost like six samurai and burn or something like that, which is like, which is like, Oh, like, okay. Like again, oh, you, you get oh. janky little losses like that. So whatever, fast forward now to Minneapolis and same thing. I kind of, I fly in for this tournament and Anthony is there. Chris is there. And like, we're like play testing and stuff. And he's just like, yeah, like play this deck again. And I'm like, I like the deck, but I'm just like, I don't know. Like I should just play like dark arm return. And he like, Anthony convinced me to play the deck. And I was like, but I did it begrudgingly because I was like, I got scraped last time and they weren't playing it. Also, remind you that like they're convincing me to play this deck, but they're not playing the deck, you know? So, it's like, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, but I, but I saw <laughs> yep. that it was good. I was like, okay, like if you just like play Dark Arm, like you that you, you just win, you know? Like it was just like that. It, that was pretty self-explanatory. It was like the deck was made to beat Dark Arm. And then in the previous tournament, I just didn't play Dark Arm. So I was like, well, that's just bad beats. So I played it again this time. And Again, round one comes. I play dark arm, and they, this guy, like you, like you alluded to, only had two dark arms in the deck, which is just a bad version of dark arm. Basically, at that time, dark arm dragons were like three hundred dollars, and like so there, there was a lot of other cards that were super expensive. So it was like, if you didn't have enough money, you couldn't play the real deck, which was kind of a crappy situation. But whatever, that's that's the the reality of the situation. So like you knew that if someone had a half built dark arm deck. Mm-hmm. But they weren't that good because the good players had the cards, right? So it's like that was, that was always something. It's like if you're good enough, you get the cards yeah. somehow. Like no one, no one, no no top tier player would ever go to a tournament and be like, yeah, well, I only had two dark arms. Like they they figured out a way. You know, you have friends who lend it to you, you buy it, you do something, you hustle mm-hmm. for it, whatever. So when I lost to that, after having just lost again, flying out from from college the night before and coming all this way and having lost in the same way in the previous tournament, that's why I was like pretty irate. And I threw the deck and I was like, I can't believe you tricked me into playing this deck again. Like, this is like, I, I can't believe, like, I can't believe how stupid I was. Like, I, I keep falling for this. 
And then, yeah, and then all of a sudden it just, mm-hmm. but I did play eight eight or nine more pure dark arm decks. Like mm-hmm. I played that, the, the deck was made to build, I think I played one six samurai deck and uh, that, that was like my only non-dark arm matchup. And that was probably like my hardest matchup of the day. Um, but also in that deck, I played crush card, right? Mm-hmm. So people always talk about like, it's funny because people talk about like me like cheating or something with that, I remember. But it was like, I played crush card with just one mm-hmm. Sangin and one Spirit Reaper. Like that was like my my two darks. And people were like, oh, like that's so like, there the, you can't play those only, like crush card with only two darks. Like you had to be like stacking it or something like that. But like I literally only used crush card once the mm-hmm. entire tournament. It just happened to be in the finals of that uh, uh, game, game two of the finals when I lost game one. And it just happened to me. So my whole reasoning and you know, like Anthony said this too, or like other people have done like, it's just like back then crush card was not released to the public. Like we had prize cards because we used to win a lot of tournaments. So I had a crush card. It was like, you don't not play that card. You know, like, like, crush card, like, like there's, it doesn't yeah, matter course. that I can only activate it once a tournament It's when that one time a tournament comes, you win the tournament automatic, you win that game automatically. So I played it only having Sangin and Speeder Reaper in my deck and again, when I game two of uh, the finals, I randomly drew it against him and he had like a built up board and like I, I crush carded him and it made me come back and win the game. And then I ended up destroying him game three. And like, that's how I won the second tournament. But it all literally was like, I it all I had to win out perfectly because I just got so unlucky in the first round and lost to the worst, the, the worst deck that I was supposed to have the best matchup against. So it was like, it was super frustrating, but you know, it all worked out in the long run. Mm-hmm. So how were you able to like recover from like w- what seemed to be like a really like damning loss in your round one to kind of, you know, g- give yourself like a clear head to kind of be able to finish off the rest of the tournament and then all of a sudden, you know, take it to the finals and win. Cause I'm pretty sure you're undefeated. Yeah. The whole way um, well, I mean, I don't know. I was always, pre- I never really went on like tilt or whatever. Like you, like people would say, like I was always pretty like, uh, and then just, just still in my life. Like I'm a very like logical thinking person. So it's like, I, I, I'm good at, at putting my emotions to the side. And it's like, I know like if I'm going to win, I'm going to win. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. So I don't really like, even though again, like that, like when I was frustrated in that moment, of course, you know, I threw my deck at the wall, but again, that was more because I was mad at myself for listening to my friends who I, when I was like debating it, like even up until the morning of the tournament, like we were like, again, in the hotel room, the, the morning before, and I'm like, ah, should I play this deck or not? So I was just kind of mad at myself yeah. for making the wrong choice. Um, but, you know, I I was never that type mm-hmm. of person who was like, oh, like oh, I lost or whatever. It was always because it was always the same. It's just like you, you just got to win. Like there was no it doesn't matter. You lose round one, you lose round eight. You know, same thing when you get to, you know, you get to the finals top, you know, top eight. I, I mean, listen, that's again how long I've been playing. When I first topped, it was top eight. Right. Like then it was top 16. Then it was top 32. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all of those times you make top eight, you make top 16, you make top 32. Like all Swiss goes away. It doesn't matter. You you can go 10 and 0. There was there were multiple times I went undefeated in Swiss and then lost the first round of the of the uh, the thing. So like what's better to go undefeated in Swiss and lose the first round in, in top or to lose round one, but then go all the way. So it's like it, th- those little details don't really matter. And to let myself kind of like play play off mm-hmm. or something again that's the difference between a good player oh bad players get thrown off by by dumb things like that by by getting put on tilt by having a loss like oh god i gotta win nine nine more rounds yeah like so what i had to win nine more rounds no matter what i always had to go nine one i just i just got my loss out of the way there's there's nothing there's no playing around that no matter what yeah there definitely is like a psychological factor that like affects you throughout the game if you like lose on like a, like a bad beat or just like a horrible misplay because i've definitely done that myself where i've had like one really bad loss or something and then i've just been been on tilt like the entire day so keeping that cool is uh, definitely like a, a, 
a luxury to have is you can have that and keeping yourself under control throughout that. Yeah, of course, like there are moments that people just get frustrated in the moment. That happens. That's that's normal. It's there's you can't really blame somebody for being upset at the moment. It's just can you let that like hit you for the rest of the day? Which is apparently what you're telling me. Clearly, you weren't bothered by the point. I don't know. It's because you know you've been there before. That you've this is something that you're you've been used to. That you're that you've normally done or whatnot. But you know, at the end of the day, like when you do it enough times, it's it you kind of become like kind of numb. Oh well, yeah, to for it. sure. And exactly it, again, that. Well, one, yeah, I definitely time. was. I mean, this at that at that point, I had already won a Shonen Jump and topped like six or seven. You know. It, in between or maybe more than that at that point so yeah i was nowhere it was nothing new to me but it was also just one of those things again like i said i've been in the position of going 11 and 0 and then losing in top 32 so it's like i know that it doesn't you know or i've also been in the, the position of going you know uh x and two making top 32 and then getting fourth place so it's like you know i knew that there it wasn't indicative of like mm-hmm. how the tournament was going to end how you started off that that's a big thing it's like you can you can start off bad and then win out you can start off well and then and you know go 7 and 0 and then lose the last 3 and end up 7 and 3 and like what's you know what's the difference so like early rounds in the tournament don't matter unless you lose you know like again so as long as so it's like once you lost out with that first round it's like that that doesn't matter x and 1 still tops like that that was never a thing to me it's always like okay how how am i going to finish and like, and what was that feeling for you at the at the end when you like finally like won that Shona Jump Challenge? Uh, I mean, that was. Like, awesome. I mean, listen, I, there, I, two things I do remember very well are the two times I won. Like as as you know, as weird as that sounds, like in my whole life, like yeah, I, like I, I remember I, both times. Should, like like I can't so blame you when I won, won the first Shona Jump, I was literally I think fifteen. We were in LA. I remember I was with my whole team and like all, all that stuff. And I just remember both times. All, everyone running because you know like you're in the feature match area and like everyone's watching and the whole tournament is over so it's like it's just me and like the, the my, me and my opponent mm-hmm. and there's judges around and then like it's like they like they scoop their cards and like everyone just explodes i remember like chris literally ran up and like picked me up at, in this tournament in the second one picked me up out of my seat and like hugged me and like anthony and like everyone's like running around it's just like it's a surreal feeling like honestly like you work so hard for for something like that and it's like again i always had in the back of my head that I should win every tournament because I felt I was the best. But how many times did it actually happen? It didn't happen. It didn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. So when it does finally happen, it is like it was, it was always a super gratifying feeling. And it's just like you're like, oh, well, it's like wait, like game, like like because there's a point too where like you know it's game, but you don't know <laughs> if it's game yet. You know, you know what I mean? It's like it's like oh wait, like you like you you you're like once it, you you realize it, you're like wait, you're like I'm about to win right now. And then like when they scoop their cards, they put their hand across the table. Mm-hmm. You're like oh yeah, like that's crazy, right? <laughs> And I, I can believe it too. I mean, like I had that same like feeling when I won like my first regional. It was like it was I, it was my fourth regional that I'd ever played in my life, and I was it was like looming and looming, and I I, I was the underdog. I just got totally squashed game one, and then game two I came back, and then game three it's like oh my god, is it is this actually gonna happen? And then, like I ripped off, I top decked the dimension fusion off the yeah. top. I'm like oh my god, this this is going to happen. I'm actually going to win. Oh my god, like it, it just hit me all of a sudden. So uh it, it's definitely a big feeling for sure when you're able to like to win that kind of caliber of tournament. No, I haven't like you know, top of YCS, like what a YCS like you have or not. But, you know, just for every everyone's own like personal milestone on like getting to what they want, like whether it be like getting their first invite, because that's always a thing now that I hear people want to do, or like winning the first regional or in your case, like winning your first YCS or Shonen Jump Championship. Like it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it, like it's something that like you won't really forget. Like, so I don't blame you at all one bit for like being able to recall yeah, those. Like, sure. And it was also like also those won. two times, was also, I mean, like, not like, like, 
almost like cheating and that we had the best deck. Like both of those times, both times I won had nothing really to do with me. Like all I had to do was like, it, it felt like cheating because my deck was just so much better than everyone else's. Right. So it was like, like when I had Bazoo return, there was just, there was no chance that I could lose. And that, that was like one of those, like the same thing with this, with the dark arm return. I mean, with, with, um, gladiator beast against dark arm return it was like i was playing triple shadow mirror with herc it was like oh that's just an automatic win so it's like like but it's like again you know that and i'm like i know that i have the better deck and i know that if i get the right matchups i'm supposed to win but again you, I, there's a million tournaments where i felt that way also mm-hmm. where i did have the best deck and i was the best player and i made you know and i would get and then whatever something lucky happens and you lose because there's still no matter what you can be the better player with the better deck and still lose and so like, times are like as it got like closer and closer mm-hmm. again, you know, it's like, Oh wait, it's like, wait, like I'm in, th- I'm in top now. And then like when it went, and then, and then when you, when you make the, you know, the top cut, everything kind of resets. Right. Cause it's like, okay, now it's single elimination. So even though I went undefeated in Swiss, that doesn't mean anything. Like I, you know, like I, I still have to, now I have to win out. I have to be perfect right now. But I have to be perfect day two. And it's like, it just happens. You're one step closer. All right. Now I'm in top eight. Now mm-hmm. I'm in top four. Oh, now I'm in the finals. And that's like, it's it's like you're just like whoa like this this is it this is what all of the stuff is for all the play testing all the you know all that fun all the fun stuff but it, it was all leading up to this and when you when you win it's it's crazy and like, like i said i remember my friends like I, I remember the looks on everyone's faces and i remember like afterwards everyone congratulating me and stuff it was awesome mm-hmm. remind me again who was the one who uh um who i think it was anthony or like anthony and chris maybe were like they were like you know i, I don't know like mm-hmm. they they would like play test and stuff like that and just have ideas. Anthony was usually, so when, when I run with Bazoo return, most of the time, most of the decks that I played were either Shane, Rosaro or Anthony slash Chris. Like they were, they, that they were like Anthony and Chris are kind of like a hive mind. Cause they, they talk a lot and they, 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 they made a lot of stuff together. Um, Unfortunately, I used to like to make decks too, but again, the decks that I made, I never really did well with. So you could kind of probably say that I wasn't a very good deck builder. But, uh, I topped with them. I get, I have some top 32s okay. and like top top 16s with my decks, but the decks where I did really well with, decks where I made top four, where I won prize cards, where I won tournaments, were always uh, with you know one of one of their decks because those guys were just so on top of the game. Now I was, I was gonna like po- just poke at you for fun for a little for a second here. Like after you won uh, Minneapolis, there did you kind of like. Like make it up to Anthony or Chris. Oh yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure. Yeah, you know, you called. I was like, ah, uh, yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, I guess, I guess it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like, yeah. buy, maybe like buy him a drink or something at like your. Evening I guess this was a good idea, but it's funny too because again, like, <laughs> and that's the type of person Anthony was, where he would make that deck, know it was better, <laughs> but he would be too scared to play it, right? Because he would always like, he was always a a, a super like. Mm-hmm play it safe guy so you know like bazoo return also he topped the event that i won with bazoo return and he knew about bazoo return like we showed him the deck we weren't on the same team back then this is when i was on team scoop still and and but anthony and uh, we were friends so we were like at this hotel the night before and he saw our deck and he knew we had it and he was just like i'm gonna play one bazoo and one return because i don't think that i think that it like three is too many and i was like nope three is definitely the way to go like that's just automatic win and he made top eight and me and Car- my, my teammate at the time, this kid, Carlos, um, we both had three, three and three. And mm-hmm. I, I won and he got top four and Anthony got top eight because he had one and one. And, you know, like he was always like that. Like he would, he had the ideas and he knew it was good, but he was like, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go all the way where I would be like, nope, like throw me off the deep end. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, like if, the, if this is the best thing, then it's the best thing. You know, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to go half in half out. Like we're, we're going to do it or we're not. Uh, man, it was just, 
it was just really fun to kind of watch all that unfold in, in Minneapolis because I was in Vietnam during the time. So I was there for six weeks. So I didn't really get to play any Yu-Gi-Oh! All I got to do was just like kind of watch what was happening. So when I saw you won Minneapolis with with Gladiator Beast, I'm like, holy Jesus. I'm like, I was not expecting this at all. And like uh, Mario Mathieu, your 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 finals opponent was yeah, playing yeah. Darkest Dragon. Like, like, who saw this coming? Like all of us were expecting like Dark Arm Dragon all yeah. across the well, board. And like what like Yeah, well that, that was exactly it. Like exactly. Like, so again, I played so I lost I played lost to Dark Arm return or uh, Dark Arm in the in the first round, then one out against almost all Dark Arm decks all the way up into the finals. And then of course in the finals I play not a Dark Arm deck, and that's how I almost lost. Again, I lost game one swiftly, oh. and then Game two, again, I would have lost again, but I, I actually had Crush Card and Crush Carded his Light and Darkness Dragon, and, like, that was what, what won me the game. But it's, like, that, you know, that that's a luck thing, right? Of course, like, I would have played... I made the perfect deck to beat the perfect the perfect matchup, but then in the finals, the one match in the whole tournament I don't play against that matchup would have been in the finals, you know? So there's always that that type of luck thing where even though I had the best deck that was guaranteed to win, I could have just gotten a bad matchup like that, and then it's like, oh, you know, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, and it, it's really funny how that does because like we've seen examples of how like Crush Card can kind of uh, kind of pull through, like especially in your situation. Also, like if you remember uh, Cedric Sakara when he was playing against uh, Hector Harris in the finals when Cedric won his match, like he just completely blew him away because Crush Card virus just completely destroyed the entire matchup. And uh, I know that you know I'm sure that you've had a lot of people that kind of came at you because you had Crush Card, but as you alluded to yourself, you said yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, really like yeah, like back there, Crush Card eventually tournament. came out. It got reprinted, but there was a time when we there was golden sarcophagus yeah. and dark and crush card were both prize cards that only we had like most people didn't have those right and like b we would i had like multi you know we had on our team th- like three or four crush cards and like four four dark sarcophaguses or something so we could play decks that normal people couldn't play you know so like to pass that up and not do that would mm-hmm. just be it was just foolish like you know it was, it was just like we that it would it just gave me such a commanding advantage to be able to have access to these certain power cards that like it was just you know but people don't understand that people just you know like again if you if you don't have that ability to play the card you wouldn't like you wouldn't even test with it right like why would you te- <laughs> if you didn't have a crush card back then you'd have four crush cards mm-hmm. and why, what are you doing testing crush card in your deck well we could test that thing because it was like again we had four crush cards but we might have mm-hmm. eight people on the team so it's like we had to know which deck was the best to put crush card in because you know who, had, who, who got to use it you know so it was like well we, we had to make the decision of like all right like this deck is the best deck and adding crush card to it is the best decision so paul gets to use the crush card because it, it was a team thing Mm-hmm. And like you really had to like kind of devote like your deck to being able to play because you're playing Glider Beast, which like none of them at the time were because Geyser was now none of them were dark, so you had to fit in your own monsters. So that's why you decided like you know chuck in some cards like Spirit Reaper and Sankin to kind of offset that. And then as like Crash Card Virus got uh, you know got more like publicly available to everybody, people were starting to main like Triple DD Crow as as part of it as well to really help set it off. To it. So it wasn't like a card that you could just kind of throw in per se. Like you really had to figure out like is this card like worth it in this kind of deck because it's because yeah like you don't yeah, have a exactly lot of cards but to but exactly like you said you know we had you had, we had to, we thought about it that, that, that's what i'm saying people would just think like you might look at it and be like oh what a weird decision like nothing that we did was a weird decision you know <laughs> there was a there was nothing that was not thought about you know that there's a reason that we that we were so dominant in that game you know like there was a, there, there was a reason for that time that we like again i don't like it sounds cocky to say but like i know that we were the best team right it's it's just known because no one was doing what we were doing 
you know, like we had, like we were thinking, we were like operating at a higher yeah. frequency. So it was like, everything was, it was planned out. It was, it was all supposed to happen that way. In reality, we were supposed to win a lot more than we do. Again, there's, if you, if you go, if you, if you break down the amount of wins we had, and then you open that up to top twos and top fours, like overdose probably had like 20 some odd wins. You probably have over well into a hundred to up to 200, like top four appearances because of just like random, like got so close, but got luck sack, luck sack yes. out of it at like the last minute when we had the better play with the better deck, but just lost to some lucky stuff. So it's like, everything was planned out. Everything was, was meticulous, you know? So like people to think that like, it's like, Oh, like that was, that was random. Like it was never random. It was, it, it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Yeah, because I find that like that's really not uh, a lot of what I see from a lot of people around me nowadays is that like there's not a lot of practice that goes on here. Like so a lot of people just go into like regionals or something and they kind of go cold turkey and then they come they come out of it and say like, well, how come I didn't do well? Like I totally should have been able to win this or whatnot. And like and like every person I've talked to so far that's like of like your level, like high caliber level, they tell me like I put in like this many hours like a day, this many hours a week to be able to like and think about this to meticulously like win these events. It's like it's not something you just kind of just kind of get up and go and really play. Like you really have to put a lot of time into winning these events. And this really circles back to what we were ta- talking about at the start of the podcast is how much time we're able to put in to be able to actually like win these events and and deck and deck test and yeah, deck exactly. You know, they, to, it's, it's a level of dedication, which is great. Events. You know, it's a good hobby. It's fun. It's an awesome thing to dedicate yourself to if you have the time and you. Have have the, the, the opportunity but it's like you know th- that's what i'm saying like there that that does not happen by accident you might win a jump not being that good you know you can get one or two tops not being that good but if you want to be that elite level of like multiple tops or you know i mean and don't get me wrong a big part of it is the teamwork right like i, I say we because it was it was always us it was it was it was like od it was scoop it was like me and my friends and like there was there was no way i could have ever become that good without all of them because you, you need someone good to play test against. You need someone good to bounce ideas off of. You need someone good to build these decks with. Like, like I would be, you know, I would build a deck, send it to Anthony. Anthony would chop it up, say, this mm-hmm. sucks, this sucks, this sucks. He'd send me a deck. I'd test it. I'd say, okay, this is what we need to change. I'd talk to Dale. Mm-hmm. Dale would send me a deck Lazaro was working on. Like, it was, it was again, it was a, it was a huge hive mind, and it was a, it was a teamwork thing that was like, you know, it, it was just, it was bigger than any one of us could have been on our own for sure. You know, but that it, it was a it was a lot of effort and time. I used to go, I used to come, I used to like leave from high school, drive an hour to Anthony's house, and he like I lived in New York, I lived in Brooklyn, he lived in New Jersey. I had to drive, you know, forty five minutes to an hour to his house every day after school to like test until like seven o'clock at night, and then drive back home and go to school the next morning. You know, like that that was the kind of stuff that we did. But that's that's how you became. That's how we became the best. You know. Mm-hmm. So you, you really would attribute the like having a team is definitely like well, yeah, no, so having like, a team, having a team was, was yes because again the the big part of Yu Gi Oh I think for everyone is the social aspect of it right you can't deny that or that's what's so fun about it so that's what that's what keeps it going but that's also what made it feasible for us having the best team you know was having those again knowing different meta games and stuff like that like I would fly to California play with Adam Corn and his and his stuff I would talk to Dale what are you guys playing in Cal in uh in, in in Canada what's going on okay we're having we're having a tournament in in Chicago or Minneapolis a lot of Canadian players come down from there but a tournament in Florida there might not be as much canadian so i don't need to worry about that like it was you all this stuff got thought about but then again there is just the level of we were all also just good friends so when you're talking about we would travel like i was you know 15 16 we were taking 15 hour road trips to tournaments in a in a in a you know a passenger van with with 16 people you know that was just fun 
right? So it was like, it was like part of it. Yes, we the teamwork mm -hmm. was 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 we needed that mm -hmm. to become the best. But those are also my friends. That like we spent hours, you know, days in in cars together and hotel rooms, and you know, we we shared money. We shared, you know, like we would we would sponsor each other. We shared cards. If I, you know, like so, it, it was a it was a, a huge part of everything was like having those people around you. Like to do all there would again, there would just be no way any any of those things could have happened mm -hmm. if I was by myself. Like I couldn't have got to the event. I couldn't have had the cards to play in the event. I wouldn't have had the deck list. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had the skill. Like none of those pieces would have existed without everyone else on my team. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you come from going from like team scoop up until uh team overdose and then also absorbing like you know Dale Lazaro and Matt Pedal from Team Super Friends into becoming like yeah. your new overdose. Like how so, did all I mean of I can say like, from the beginning to get I started all the way back together. in starter decks and like this when I was in like junior high school. Um, and then that we, I, like there it was, it was only locals back then. This is when we were still playing for those, like those, uh, millennium eye trophies. You know what I'm talking about? So I have, I have, yeah. So I won one, I won yep, one of those and I used to play trophies, this little store called animation ones. odyssey by, by me here in Brooklyn. I was young and it was like, again, it was like not even, it was no one good. It was nothing like that. But then eventually, um, Shane, Shane Scurry and a few of my other friends who eventually would become team scoop came to that, came to that store. They used to play at another store. And like they were older than me, but they basically used to win all the tournaments at their store. And then I was winning all the tournaments at my store. So when they came over, like we used to butt heads and play and stuff like that. But then we kind of realized they were like, all right, instead, the tournaments used to be sometimes on the same day. So they were like, instead of us playing against each other, they're like, why don't you stay at this store and win all the, the, the tournaments here? And we'll go to this store and win the tournaments here. And like, we'll kind of like, and, and that's how the, the first team started. Like we literally started making teams. Like that was like, that, that was like one of the first things like, and then we started to pool our cards. Um, and then, to, then we learned about regionals. So like, this is when regionals had first started and then Shonen Jump. So the first Shonen Jump came to, came to the East coast was New Jersey. Um, and that's when like Anthony Alvarado topped and like Brian Cornell and a bunch of them. And this was, they, they were overdosed and those guys were New Jersey. We were in New York. So we knew these guys cause we would see them in regionals and stuff like that. I would play against them. Like they were like our friends from like, like how anyone is your friend in like a tournament. Like they were, they weren't like, I didn't know them that well. But then when the, when the sh first Shonen Jump came to New Jersey, the team comic odyssey came and comic odyssey was from California. And like, that's when we first learned, they were like, wait a second, like you can travel for this stuff. Like it never occurred to anyone that that was a thing that people would do, you know, like, travel for events. So we then mm -hmm. team scoop, which like me, Shane Scurry and a bunch of uh, uh, older uh, Brooklyn players, we got sponsored by this store called um, whatever dot. And it was like a, a, an internet cafe, you know, like I'm super busy myself. Very, very Know what that is so it was like an internet cafe but again to spon <laughs> they sponsor us, so they would pay for our trip out there but in order to pay them back what we would do is um they would give they, they had a mat printer so they would print custom mats like dueling play mats. so again we started like that was a thing too that was not a thing before we started it so like mm -hmm. all this stuff that people are take for granted now like we we made all this stuff happen like so they would print custom mats and i would fly out to a random state with an with like one of my suitcases with my clothes in it and an entire suitcase full of custom mats and I would stay there and sell all the mats and bring them back the money. And that's how I would pay for my, mm -hmm. for my trips. So we would do, we would be doing that. And like, that's how we first started traveling and stuff. And oh, like, nice. then, you know, again, being from New Jersey, being from New York and Anthony and, and Chris and Brian and all them being from uh, New Jersey, like we all, we played in the same regionals and stuff. And then they started traveling as well. So now it kind of like, as we started getting more serious, 
our like scoops kind of dwindled down because there were some some players who were not on the level that like me and Shane were who were really traveling and stuff like that. And then they with Anthony and them like they had they had a, a bigger team at first and it kind of dwindled mm-hmm. down. So it kind of so because at first you could say these were like the neighborhood teams, right? Like we were the Brooklyn team, they were the New Jersey team because that's where we were. Like we were playing in our hometowns. But once we started traveling, mm-hmm. it shifted because now it was like the people who were serious, like the guys, like we had friends who were on our team who weren't that good at Yu-Gi-Oh. Right. But they were like they were on our team because they were our friends and we were that was it. Same thing with Anthony, same thing with Chris. Like they had other members of the team who were good, but not that good. So they weren't going to invest money into traveling to events and stuff like that. But that's how I guess scoop and overdose kind of shift, kind of merged because it was like, all right, now that we were all traveling together. Uh, and like we had kind of trimmed the fat, so to speak, not to not to be mean, like those were my friends still, but like they weren't like in, in terms of playing, like they were not going to become the next mm-hmm. level players that we wanted to be. So it was just made sense that we merged and we kind of now we're like, all right, we, if we're all down to be, to be on this level, we're going to be on this level. So then, you know, we became like the, the team, right? So now it's like, all right, we're all going to travel together. We're going to pool our resources and we're going to, you know, we're going to do it like that. And then that's when we, again, the more we travel, the more we started meeting more people, meet, go to the West coast. We meet Iman and Adam Korn later. Um, go to Canada, meet, you know, Dale. I mean, I met Dale and then my, my, my second top Dale, when the, the event that Dale won, he beat me. Um, so we had known each other for a while, but again, like they were, they, they were the Canada team and we were the, uh, the U S team. So then like a few Canada jumps had came and like, you know, I stayed at Dale's house. I stayed at Matt Peddle's house one time for a Canada jump. I stayed at Dale's house one time for a Canada jump. So like, those were my friends, you know, like they were like, they, we, we would, we would hang out and like, we, they, like, I love those guys. Um, and then again, it just made sense that after a while, they were kind of, they kind of went through that same transition where they were traveling a lot. And it was like the core team that was kind of traveling all the time was not the same as like the Canada team who was like back home. So it was like, they had like their three or four players who, you know, Dale, Matt Pedal, Lazaro. And like, they were like, all right, we're, we're going to travel. Like we, we are going to buy plane tickets and fly to the U S like we want to be that level of team. So again, it kind of just, it kind of just happened organically where now it's like, if it was the original super friends that was like seven or eight people and the original scoop that was eight people and the original overdose that was 10 people, like you couldn't have a team like that. But because, because of the traveling, because of the people who, who yeah. kind of like, were like, all right, like I'm going, you know, like you could see who was already ready to make that step to be at that next level. And the people who weren't that serious about it. So the people who were all ready to level up, we kind of just did it together. Yeah, because like I remember, like I, I'm, I know a lot of your like members of, like, of OD like way back when, because like I know like not every single one of them was kind of like there. Like for instance, like mm-hmm. I, I didn't see uh, like Rymus or, or Sean yeah. a whole lot when we played, but then I would always see like I would see you. I always see, of course, I'd see Dale Lazaro because we're from because I'm like an hour and a half away from the. But, but you know, like I, obviously, like there are members who are like up on higher than, yeah, exactly. than the other guys. And like they accept that, like, you know, like, they're not maybe into the game as much. Cause I know that like Rimas stepped out of the game a lot sooner than I know that everyone else did. And like, I, I love Rimas. He's an awesome guy. Every time we interact with each other, like it's always been cool. It's always been awesome, but you know, like not everyone's like, like decided that they want to be on that level or they just, you know, they don't take the game as seriously maybe, but you know, that that happens. It's like same thing with when I had a team too, not everybody was like as hardcore as I was, but we still had like a good collaboration with each other. And it's kind of like with you, not every single OD member is like going to be like, like that the very best kind of like, any ever every sports team like not this one team is going to have like an all-star roster of players is going to be like your like in hockey you kind of like your fourth line players you might yeah 100 like i mean exactly that it's like it's kind of we like, have my, like they are my teammates who are my teammates because those are my boys you know like those are the homies and we're gonna like that that's just my family but like when i'm talking about my team like 
to play test with and the people yep. who are like, you're all right, we're going to have a team war. That's who I'm, I'm, I'm picking up. Like, that's different. You know, those are the people who are taking it seriously. So exactly that. So like Rymus or Sean or someone like that, they might be like, they, they knew they didn't care. They didn't have the, again, we talked about a, a, a hundred times on this podcast already, how much effort it was to be good at this game. So it's fine for you to say like, nah, I don't really want to put in all that effort. Like, I just want to play with you guys when we're at mm-hmm. the local store. And it's, uh, that's awesome. Those are you again, that, that, that's fine. But when we're, when we were, we, when we were talking about traveling and stuff like that, all right, we're booking flights. We're booking booking hotels who's down now you know okay like these are the people who are really trying to do it you know exactly that because not every single one of my teammates would travel with me to go out for for big events i had about maybe one teammate that would like two two teammates that would like travel out with me and whatnot one teammate would be responsible for like maybe like acquiring a bunch of cards for us to be able to play with and whatnot and i'm sure like you kind of have like a similar system with like kind of like a hierarchy and whatnot of like who does what in your role like everyone has the role in a team in a sense maybe like double roles yeah for sure exactly so it really was just and and again that when well one Shane and I, Shane more more so than me, um, but eventually at, at, back then I really was like we were like vendors. So again, we started like another thing that we started like we were the first like real backpackers like play. You know, like we started having tables. That's originally why we stopped playing as much was because we would go to the events and like we we would make more money having a, a vending table than having than than to play. So it was like after a while, like but like people weren't doing that back then. Like it used to be like Troll and Toad would yeah. have a table or or TCG, you know, TCG player or something like, like players weren't buying vending tables until we started doing that. People weren't coming with their own custom mats until we started doing that. Like yeah. we wanted to be the best and we made it happen. You know, like we, we made it like we, we, we made the blueprint for the, what the rest of these people did. Like people weren't doing that. People weren't flying to, you know, like across the country because they didn't have a way to fund it. But it was like, all right, well, like, let's go a step further. We don't have a way to fund it. Let's find a store that will that, that'll pay for it. Let's or let's make sure that we win a prize card and that we will make a team that's so good that we guarantee we win a prize card because they also used to do um, prize cards for side events and side events by points, right? So it was like, I don't know if you, you know what I'm talking about, where like you could you would get a certain amount of points for every side event mm-hmm. you played in, and then uh, and then at the end of the, the the weekend there would be a top four playoff for a prize card. So it's like, okay, even if even if the if the tournament is luck, we know that we can make the side we can always hustle the side events and make sure that we win. So it's like we if we br- bring enough people, like it was again, it was a science. Mm-hmm. It was like we were we had the we had the budget, we had the cards. We because me and Shane did so much vending and so much eBay. We had all the cards, so anyone who needed anything, like we 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 had the cards. We had we had the players, so we were we were in the main event. We were in the side event. We had other stuff like we you know like we we had connections all over. So it's like again, if, if I'm in California, I had some place to stay. Again, I was you know we were we were young, so I wasn't trying to spend so much money. We were we were all broke too. We were making it happen in different ways where other people might have made excuses or other people might have not not figured out way. Just like I said before, where some like the whole dark arm dragon thing. Like if you didn't have a, a third dark arm dragon, like I knew you weren't that good. I would respect you because i would have found a way to get that third dark arm dragon that, that's what i'm saying not saying that it wasn't expensive like yeah i get it's 300 that sucks but i was mm-hmm. never going to enter a tournament with two dark arm dragons in my deck when three were legal so that was like a perfect thing of like that 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 was the difference of like our team was always going to make that was make that happen and that's how it kind of like the cream rises to the top so it's like the people who weren't ready to, to hustle like that they they were the ones who didn't come, you know. So like that's why I was like, okay, if the the original team would stay home, but now we had the 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 bigger travel team of of me of OD of super friends and like all the all those different things that kind of just combined because we were all on the same wavelength of like yeah like we're gonna make this happen we're gonna be the best we are going to crush these tournaments and travel the world and and all that fun stuff. 
Yeah, I, and I have a personal anecdote that kind of relates to that too. Like, of not having, uh, you know, like all the cards like met, met to like play, uh, pick a big event, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like when tour mm-hmm. guides were out, and they were probably around like like 150, 160 like US, something like that. Like, I couldn't get, uh, I couldn't get my hands on three. I only had one. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to play plants because I don't have three tour guides. You need that to be able to play the deck. Like, especially when you play the mirror match, it's like, I'm going to get killed because my opponent's got access to three tour guides and I only have access to one. And that's like kind of like the heart and soul of the deck. It's like, I'm probably not going to be able to win this if I don't have tour guides. So I opted to play agents instead because it was the only other deck that I had at the time. But, you know, it's like that. It's like, I'm not going to go into like a big event playing like a half deck. Like I gotta have, I have to have everything in order to be able to win because everyone else I'm gonna be playing against is going to have like everything that at their disposal to be able to like beat me because it's a, it's a it's a regionals or a YCS or a Shonen Jump Championship. These are like some of the best people that are gonna come out here and play this event. No way in heck I'm gonna be able to beat them if I have like a yeah, hundred percent. And you know that was the that point of that's what like that's a, what made the great team. Deck. That's what made us as a team so great because. That's exactly what was the point. It was like, all right, I know that we we like we needed those cards. So again, if we're before the tournament, who's coming to the tournament? What decks are you playing? We made sure we had everything. Like that was the whole point of that stuff. It was like you were never sitting there struggling for some for some card because we had the team, we had everyone supporting us. We we knew that you know this is what this is the deck list that everyone's using. Like we had it, you know, the days before. Send me your deck list so I can make sure I make sure that we have all the cards or whatever. Like that was you know that was the point of like we all built each other up, you know, so that that we could all be great together yeah that, that was definitely a big thing too because like you're being able to like help each other out and and like gather the cards you need and help yourself like get to other places like that's a really important thing to be able to help yourself get better because it gives you the experience that you need to be able to you know go on the road and play against like a bunch of different people and just just having that support as well it's just it it, it kind of motivates you in a sense like i i, I love competition and like I get motivated by competition, and that, that's kind of the same thing too with with your friends. It's like you all want to get better, and you kind of build each other up to get to get better. Which is why, like, I think it's it's such a merit to be a part of a team rather yeah, than for sure. Like I mean, listen, you have to have that. You have to have like someone to pushing really you to be better. You have to have people pushing you to be better, and you also have to have someone who like you have to be good enough to to get better. You have to have the opponent. So like that's the one thing about being in New York, the New York New Jersey area was no, we had the best players. So that like that's why so many good players came out of here. Same thing with Canada, right? Like you're like that area where you guys like card masters and that little like you guys had a really good crew. So it's like if you got fortunate enough to come up in one of those places, you got you you went through the fire. You went through the inferno, right? Like there's like even after Dale and Lazaro and Matt kind of had their reign, like there were years later like kids were still coming out of that store, right? Like there, there, there's something to that, right? They, the area where where I where I played when I you know ten years ago still has like champions coming out of it. Like there was something about the com- the competitive level of these certain areas, you know. Whereas like if you're playing in Wisconsin somewhere, that you're just not going to be able to do that. I mean, maybe now, luckily because of the internet, dueling book, like you could figure something out. But back then, if you didn't have that that level of 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 play and you didn't have a place, if you weren't going to travel. There's no way for you to get good. Like, how could you? And absolutely that. And I believe that self-discipline, too, is also, like, a really big thing that you have to have in, in this game as well. Like, and I, I know that I'm just going to – this is just me making my, uh, like, my natural, like, thoughts on you. But, like, since you're a personal trainer, like, you have to have self-discipline. You have to, like, go out on, like, this workout regimen. You have to stick to it. You have to diet properly. And, you know, you have to make sure you don't eat, like, a whole bunch of junk food. Or, like, when you're doing your cheat day, you do it right. You know, like, to, to get like, to the level of, like, you know, physique that you have 
now because I know that you yourself, like you have a very good like physique on you because you're a personal trainer and whatnot. So you have to have that kind of discipline as well in, in Yu-Gi-Oh as well. And just, and then kind of staying in your lane and making sure that, you know, you don't go kind of, well, yeah, I mean, you, for like, me, you know, honestly, like, it's funny because both in Yu-Gi-Oh and in fitness, they, they kind of, are, it's more so that even than discipline to me, it's, it's, it's just for me, a, a logic thing. It's just like, it just makes sense. You know, it's like, like, that's why, like, when I come back to where we are at the beginning, where I was like, I just don't have the time to, to put into Yu-Gi-Oh. It's really because like, I just like, I know I only have so much time in the day. So my priorities are like, logically, I want to work on my health and my fitness because that's what's important to me. And back then when that wasn't a big priority to me, but like, I was always big on like, okay, like what's the best thing that I can do right now. And that was, you know, like for that time trying to be this, okay, like I'm going to test it this time. I'm going to put in this much time to, to doing this or whatever. So it's always just been like following the path. And I, I also think that's why, like what separates sometimes the, the people who are really good is it is something about the way you think. Right. So I always say, I, I say this like halfway jokingly sometimes, or I used to, I, I, I almost feel bad because I would go, all right. So I won my, my second jump in, I think 2008. Right. And again, I, so I played a little bit into 2009. I topped a few d- dark arm events and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I kind of stopped. Cause that's when I like in college, my junior senior year, I kind of fell out of the game. Uh, and then like, maybe in like 2012, I came back. And that was like uh, maybe mm-hmm. that Girga event, you know, so that was like four years later. And I came and I just went eight and one and top, top the mm-hmm. event. And I was just like, there's no reason. And then I, but I, in that event, I was seeing people who had been playing, like people who, who played when I was first starting, who didn't take four years off, who were still going six and three or, or five yep. and five or something like that, you know? So it's just like, what is the difference? Like, why is it that I can take four years off and come back and be better than these people who are practicing all the time? And it's, it's something about, there's, there's something about a, a, like people who are more strategy minded, you know, it's the same thing. Like I can walk by and see someone's hand and be like, I know what to do with that. Whereas some people mm-hmm. will just, they'll just never see it. They'll never put the pieces together. And like all of the people who are great like that, the Dales, the Matt pedals, like Matt pedal was like amazing like this. Um, or like you, they do, they would just look at someone's hand and they would know how to play it better. And there's, there's a level of that that can't be taught, right? So it's like, no matter what, mm-hmm. that you can like, that, that's the thing about, and, that, and that's the difference between coming back to what we were talking about, like the difference between now and then, because now it, you kind of can teach it because again, there is a right and a wrong way to play it. It's like, okay, like you play, like it's solitaire and you have to play solitaire a right way. Whereas back then when there was so much opinion, like you would, they would say like, oh, I would do this because of this and this and this and this and be like, oh, whoa, like I would have never thought of that. And that's what made like the, the, the difference maker, but it's, it's that, str- that strategic, logical mm-hmm. thinking, not getting emotional, not again, going on tilt because you got a bad hand because you opened up three tangos or because of whatever thing. And like, those were the people who you saw consistently, like my, Matt pedal might've got bad beats all the time, but I know that if I put that, like, like skill wise, I put him up against anyone, I'm going to put me on him you know, because he had that, that level of thinking, same thing with Lazaro, same thing with Dale. It's just like their, their brain was different, you know? Yeah. I, and absolutely. Because like, and I, I played against all three of them and they, they, they just think, and they play in this game at a completely different level from what I've seen so many people. And it's absolutely crazy. Like I know like maybe Matt pedal doesn't maybe get enough, uh, maybe not enough credit for it, maybe because he could be overshadowed by Lazaro Dale or not, but Matt pedal in his own right, is a fantastic mind and is a fantastic player of his own right. And he can turn like anything like a bad situation into a good situation easily for him. And like, and it's always been one sided with him and me. Like, I think I'm a, I'm a very like logical and critical thinker myself. Like I'm a philosophy major. It's, it's what I love about it, but like Matt pedal on a thinking level, is, is completely like beyond anyone I know. Yeah, for sure. He was one, definitely game. one of the I, best I players. And also like, you like, get, like you said, didn't get enough credit game. because he never actually won. Like he topped a few times, but he was also like the type of person who 
like Gail, I think t- said in his podcast would like, he would play you and in the last round of the tournament and he'd go, okay, you take the win. Cause you, you're, you have a better chance at winning than me. Something like that. Cause we were on the same team. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you got this. Like, you know, like stuff like that. So he was just like a super yeah. chill person. Like I said, when, 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 you know, I would co- I would go to Canada and stay with him. And like, he, he was just like w- one of the, the best people, but, but in general, again, it says there's something different about the people. Again, like I go back to like Patrick Hoban or like Jeff Jones, you know, those are the people who they came a little bit after me. I'm doing wrong. I knew Jeff Jones. I know Jeff Jones well, but like, he was like, right uh, towards the tail end of when I stopped playing super competitively. Like I was still playing, but that's when he kind of went on his reign and was doing the best. But it's like, again, you watch Jeff Jones play that, yeah. pla- that plant deck or something like that. Like he was operating at a different level, you know, like, he, and, and again, that definitely didn't happen by accident. I know for a fact that he was testing mm-hmm. like crazy that he was, that he knew that deck inside and out. So it's like, when you want to, to when you talk about, wanting to be at that, be that good, you have to understand that it's like, it's not regular. You're not just playing you're not just playing for fun. Like these, this is like, it, you know, they, they used to joke, you go is serious business, but it is. And it was right. Like, it's like, you can't, it can't have it both ways. You can't not want to take it seriously, but mm-hmm. then be mad when you lose. Right. So we took it seriously. We made a business out of it. Like I was, you know, the, up until mm-hmm. I was like 22 or something like that, 23, until I started becoming, when I became a personal trainer, I never had a job because I had Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I money. That was my career. I had eBay. I had tables. I had, you know, I, I was a vendor. Mm-hmm. So it was like, this, this stuff is real if you want to make it real, but it, it's really a, about how much effort, how much time, how much passion you want to put into it. Um, it, it really makes all the difference. Yeah. Cause like, for, for example, like Jeff Jones, like really, he, like he started to really gain success, like got a lot mm-hmm. of success, like back around like 2009 area, like where he finally won his, like his first event and whatnot. And that was kind of like near the tail end of like your career or whatnot. And like, I don't want to take anything away from Jeff. He's a fantastic player, but like I knew him since before I, like, when I first started playing like back around like 2000, uh, 2005 is when I started playing in the competitor circuit. Like you didn't like, you'd hear his name, like kind of like top an event here, but he never won anything before that until 2009. Then he won that, like that 100th uh, Shonen Jump Championship, the, the very last one. Yeah. Or I think it was the 75th, sorry, in, uh, in, uh, in New Jersey, if you recall correctly, in that one. So, I mean, I know you've, you've gotten around a lot. Like I always see it at every single event that I, I went to, at least, because I was always going like Northeast uh, United States and anything in Toronto, which was like, which is obviously like where you're very close yeah. to, because you said you're from, uh, you're from Brooklyn. You're not, too, you're like about an eight hour drive from where I am. So you're not like that far off from where we are. So like, we'd always see each other at all the events and like all the time I see you guys, right? It's like, man, that's like, if I had to go against you guys, like I'd be getting, I'd be getting, I feel like I get flattened in another way because like you guys were on a completely different level than I was at the time. Like I thought I was good, but like not like as good as your level at the time. But like God, and it's like, but just kind of like seeing you guys now, like knowing that, like having talks with each one. He's like, you know, all like regular people at the end of the day. Like you're, you're real people with real hobbies to get your own lives. And it's it's just been really enlightening to kind of talk to you guys now, like on like kind of like a deep intellectual level at this point in time. It's been really refreshing to kind of like really break into your minds now that I've like talked to you, like you a lot more. I talked to you, Chris, Dale, like a little bit of Lazaro and like Rhymus and whatnot. It's really nice to kind of get down to the core of it as before, like when you like see people yeah, from yeah. like a lower level to like a higher level, you just kind of think of them as like, just like a rival, you know, a rival or like, or competition. Like you don't really see them as a person, which is like, man, like, yeah, I'm for sure. I mean, it's awesome. Down, you know, like, really like I said, even with, like, though I what, don't really what, play what anymore, right I still respect the game of Yu-Gi-Oh! First, all the things that it's brought into my life, all the people, all the good times. Again, I have so many stories of just road trips and tournaments and just so like so much fun, you know, like it was, it's a big part of who I am as a person now. 
is 100% shaped by Yu-Gi-Oh. Like I would, there's no way I, I end up where mm -hmm. I am today mm -hmm. without the experiences that I have, you know, even for, down to like trading and learning, you know, again, learning to haggle for cards and like that's business and that, that, all that stuff, all that stuff really matters, you know? So it, it really is like, I, I like, again, they, they joke, people joke about it, it's just a children's card game, but I think anyone who's played at the, at the level that, you know, you have, or I have, or, or all of our, all of our friends is just like, you know, that it's, it's more than that. You know, like, you know, that this game is really like something special. Yeah, it, absolutely. It is. And, and I had this conversation with Dale, like near the tail end of our podcast is kind of like the, the practical applications that you could use for that you have in Yu-Gi-Oh that you can apply to real life. For example, like we can use like these critical thinking skills to, and creativity skills for like Yu-Gi-Oh that kind of help us out in, with like in real life, like Dale's in sales now, for example. So that's like a big thing he likes to use. He can kind of use like kind of his charisma, like his wheeling and dealing because he did a lot of trading then too. And now he can use that in his sales department. And now that's kind of helped uh, teach me how to do sales and whatnot, how to work with people. Like I like to go with like the very friendly approach. I don't like to hustle a whole lot. You know, that that's how I like to do like work my business and whatnot. And I'm sure that again, like you've probably like applied uh, some, uh, some like real life applications as well. As I noted for you, like, you know, self-discipline was a thing, like going back to your, you know, your kind of your physique, you know, like you really need to like get up every day, like early and like work out hard and at least stick to that routine. You know, I think there's a lot of parallels that we can draw. Yeah, 100%. Again, I, I mean, listen, I, I say this all the time in my, in my career is fitness thing because everything's an analogies. Everything is the same. Everything is an, anal an analogy for everything, right? Like you can get up and grind a tournament. You can sit and, you know, like you can, you can make the, the hard decisions and stuff like that. So it's so, like you said, it's all discipline discipline is discipline hard work is hard work you know like spending time like spending time on your passion is spending time on your passion take out Yu-Gi-Oh and put in uh lacrosse take out lacrosse and put in uh, weightlifting take out weightlifting and put in writing like it's all the same thing if you want to be good at something if you want if you want the result you commit to the effort of what that thing is going to be so again when i was younger when i was 15 and 16 and 17 that result i wanted was to be the best duelist in the world and i you know and that's what i did and you know like we and i so i i had friends who had the same goals right they, they always say uh you, i don't know if this is a this is a a big fitness thing or, or personal development they they say a lot like you are the you you become the result the result of the five people you spend the most time with right like so it's like that that's a, a an old quote but it's like, all right, so who did I spend a lot of time with? Anthony Alvarado, Chris Provick, Shane Scurry, Dale Belito, Lazaro Belito. Like I made sure that I was around the best people. But, you know, to even get in those circles, you have to be – you had to be of a certain caliber. You know, like so that, like that's what it was. It's like you, I built myself up, we built each other up, and we all grew together. You know, that, that's really what it was. Yeah, and I think really you really demonstrated like the, the real value of like kind of having a team and like all the benefits of doing it and like how do you like really push each other to like to be the very best with each other in itself. And that's why I, I always said that, you know, t t Team Overdose was like one of the most powerful teams like in Yu-Gi-Oh! Way back in the way back in the old days now. So like I, I had a lot of respect for you guys when I saw you guys up there because I knew that you guys were up there always like winning a bunch of events and like performing well. And I, I played against a couple of you so far. Like I know that like like I, I'm not just joking like i really mean it because i've witnessed and experienced it firsthand i've seen it so like i know that you guys like really work hard at it yeah, no, like i appreciate it listen i'm like listen I, you know we're all doing and, different you know, things now but it is so awesome to just have that you know again as a memory of of something i have right uh, my uh my table uh, tablecloth my uh my mouse pad right now that my laptop is on as i'm speaking <laughs> to you is like a top eight mat from a from a shonen jump and i have the i have the millennium puzzle uh trophy still in yep. my room somewhere i lost my my shonen jump trophies but in, in the moving but it's like 
yeah, that is a that is a part of something that like you you know we were a part of something yeah. big and again like I said coming back to we we really made this a thing like teams weren't a big thing before we started doing it people were like oh like you know like they're, like they're like because then people saw they were like oh these look at what these guys can do with their teams the before, really weren't. I just thought it was like yeah exactly like why would I show someone else my deck when then they could beat me with my deck but it's like no like we realized that if we share decks because even before dale and you know we and lazaro and matt like even before we joined forces so to speak officially we were we 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 still shared with each other you know like they like they again they gave me the deck the the zombie deck that i made top four with like they would give me deck lists all the time i would we would tell them what we're working on they would tell us what they were working on it's like we realized that we got better together as opposed to being like, oh no, you can't see, you can't see what I'm playing because like I need to have the, the hot secret tech. It's like, yeah, that will get you somewhere. Like you might get a sneak win once in a while, but for the most part, you're going to do better by collaborating with people, with the right people, because again, then you can use their, their skills and their brain power to build you up more. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly what, you know, a team is supposed to do is, you know, it's like take like the best parts of every person and like try to, you know, conglomerate together into like, you know, what's like, to really make like the best output that you really can for it. And, uh, and I'm glad that that was able to happen for you. And, and me, when I was part of a team, it definitely helped me in that sense. Maybe it's not to the level that you did, but definitely improved me on myself. And I would encourage anybody out there to, you yeah, know, exactly. start a team. Listen, like, you were not, the, I mean, like, exactly. You can't say I'm only going to start a team with the best people. Better. Cause then if you did that, we wouldn't have had Chris on our team. Like he was pretty useless, you know? So I just, uh, like yeah. you, you have to have, you know, you know, you have to have some compassion for people, but again, the point yeah. is that you you get better together. You know, yeah, it really is. And again, if this goes back to sports, like you, when you when you draft players and whatnot, you draft them because you think they're the best, but they're not the best yet. You have to kind of mold them. You have to get yeah. them better, train them a little bit, give them some experience, and then that's when they start becoming the best. Everyone on the, the all the old OD guys, all the Super Friends guys, OD guys who you know, Dale, all the Canadians, Lazaro and Matt, and all the other ones too. That I, I remember everyone like we had so many good times um but I, again i still talk to these guys uh, like fairly regularly i try to keep up with them um but the only only thing that i would I, I would like to say is if uh if anyone is interested in like fitness stuff i do have my own podcast um that's called the healthy happy human podcast where i talk about fitness and mindset and all the stuff that again i've taken from Yu-Gi-Oh and now transitioned into just being a fitness uh professional so if you're interested in that come check it out i would i would appreciate it and all of those links will be below in the description on the YouTube channel. Paul, man, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate you taking out the time. Don't forget to like and subscribe. For more information, check out the Gate Expectations podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Spotify. Mm-hmm.